We heard that scripture read in between the songs pointing to a man who was bound. And we know the end of that story is Jesus' healing of that man, showing us that there may be chains we can break in this world on our own, but there is a chain of sin wrapped around us that only Christ can break. And that's what we just sang about, that Christ can break those chains. And for that, we give thanks. Today, we're going to be reading from the book of Hebrews. I want to invite you to turn over there. It's a unique book. We don't know who wrote it. We don't know who it was written to other than it was written to Hebrews, which are the Jewish folks. And, uh, and we know uh, this about Hebrews is that uh, it's not a normal kind of letter that you find like in the prison epistles or the pastoral epistles. Those things we've been reading through, Galatians, Ephesians, all those, First uh, Timothy, Second Timothy, those things we've been reading through kind of have a standard letter format. Hebrews is kind of more like a sermon. It's kind of written in that fashion. And so we're just going to read just a little bit of the beginning of chapter 1 in Hebrews. So turn your attention over to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. And let's let's read God's word together. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, and many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom He also made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And he has provided purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Hey, we do have kingdom kids today. <clears throat> which is our ministry for kiddos who are four years old through second grade. Anyone that would like to participate in that, they can meet our Kingdom Kids workers over here. They're going to take them next door, down, uh, next door in the downstairs of our education building, and that's where they're going to have a chance to learn and worship at their level. And parents, if you need to get them before service is over, just keep in mind, you'll need to ring the little doorbell. They'll want to see your face and make sure you are who you say you are, and then they'll let you in to get your kiddos. Otherwise, for security reasons, those doors do remain locked. Hey, we've got some special guests with us today that I want to recognize. The Chikoski family is here with us today, Josh and Chase. Josh, Sarah, we're so great, grateful that y'all would join us. on your. They have a fall break with their kiddos, and so they've come during the fall break, and they've been having a good time down in South Texas, and they stuck around to worship with us today, and th- them and their boys, and we're just so grateful to have you guys with us today. I just want to take a moment now and just pause and pray with you as we uh, take a look at God's Word together. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your Word. God, it is you speaking to us. Even though we don't know who wrote Hebrews, we know it. you are the author that stands behind it. Through your Holy Spirit inspiring men to write Scripture, we, we get to hear from you. Help us to never take that for granted, but to stand in awe of the fact that we have a God who made us, who knows us, who loves us, and who has desired to communicate to us through the written word. More so than that, you have communicated who you are through Christ. And we see that so clearly even in the beginning of this amazing letter or or book or sermon, however we want to put it, through the scriptures you show us that Your son, Jesus, is better. Better than anything, anyone. Better than all that we could hope for, all that we can imagine. We see in Christ, you. And Father, we give thanks 
that you have given us your son Jesus, that we might be set free, our chains might be broken, and we might be called your children. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If I were to try to summarize the entirety of Hebrews, it would be what I said at the end of the prayer, Jesus is better. That's what Hebrews is really about. It's about showing us how Jesus is better. Now, most of you know uh, we are in a year-long Bible reading plan together. and We read a section out of the New Testament every, every day, Monday through Friday. We have weekends to kind of catch up on some of our reading if we got behind. And we are, we are at the very beginning of reading through Hebrews. You, if you're on that reading plan, you've read through the first six chapters of Hebrews. We're going to be in Hebrews this coming week. And uh, so we'll have two sermons in Hebrews. So if, you're, if you haven't been tracking with us and you want to follow along and read along, just read the first six chapters of Hebrews and then read a chapter a week uh, or chapter a day this week and you'll be right on target because I'm preaching out of some portion of what we've read the previous week. And so we're going to take a look at, I'm, really we're going to kind of restrain ourselves to the first uh, three and a half chapters of Hebrews because then they get into some other areas in which Jesus is better. But I want to kind of just focus in on a few things that we read here. And when we read through chapter 1, we find that the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is better. He's better than even the angels. And when you read through the Bible, you get this impression that angels, they're pretty bad dudes. Like they, this is pretty, pretty cool what they can do. They're powerful. God has given them uh, an important role to be, particularly to be, their, to be the messenger of God. That God would use them to deliver his message. And what the writer of Hebrews starts out with here is, is as impressive as an angel is. And, and you know, I've never seen an angel. I, I, I mean, maybe you have. But when I read the Bible, everyone who sees an angel, they fall down on their face. Like they're just like, whoa, this was... I don't, like, just in total awe and amazement, just overwhelmed, just being in the presence of an angel. And what we find here is that the writer of Hebrews says, as impressive as, impressive as any angel you've ever met could be, or you could imagine, or what you could find in the Bible, Jesus is better. And uh, I, that just is kind of an incredible thought to me. But one of the things we see the angels do, and we see it in the scripture, is that they deliver a message. They have something to say on behalf of God often enough. The angels are, according to verse 14 in chapter 1, they're those ministering spirits. And they're there to serve. And the author of Hebrews says there is one who is even greater. Look at chapter 1, verse 4 with me. We read that. So he became as much superior to the angels. He... he supersedes the angels. He's better than the angels. He's better than any messenger that could ever come our way. And I thought about that. I thought, well, I mean, what does that mean for us today? Because uh, I, I believe there's angels now. They're at work now. God is still using angels in this world today. I, I've never had a personal experience with that. I've never seen them, never had a vision of that. But I believe that, that they didn't just go away, you know, at the end of the recorded scriptures. That God is still using them in some way in this world to affect his will. And, and I don't know what all that looks like, but, but that might not be something we encounter every day, but we encounter those who bring messages every day. And, and to be open to what a messenger has to say to us is a good thing, but to realize that no matter who the messenger is, 
Whoever we allow to speak into our life, no one should be better in our eyes than Jesus himself. And one of the challenges, uh, I have pastor friends who talk about these things, and to be honest with you, one of the challenges of, of preaching is that, and uh, I hate to kind of out myself here, but you can find much better preachers on YouTube. Uh, you can go to podcasts. There are world-class preachers out there who are phenomenal, way better than me and way better than probably a lot of pastors you may sit before in the churches and all that kind of stuff. And you can find a messenger of God who can preach the gospel better than I can. But as the saying goes, what I love about the gospel is that they may be able to preach the gospel better, but as the saying goes, they can't preach a better gospel. Because there is a good news about Jesus that is better and more important than any messenger you're going to hear from. Even an angel from heaven does not compare to the messenger that God sent, Jesus, his only son, into this world for us. So don't get caught up in angel stuff. Don't get too focused on human messengers. As we're going to talk about in just a minute, Jesus is where it's at. He is better. So we see that in the first few chapters of Hebrews, that Jesus is superior to the angels. But Jesus is also superior to one of the Jewish heroes of the faith and and is probably one of our heroes of the faith too, a guy named Moses. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of Moses. Most of you have heard of Moses, right? He's the guy that God chose to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt into the promised land. And of course, they don't quite make it, at least not that generation. Vast majority of them do not make it. Only a few make it in. Uh, But through the wilderness, who is leading them? It's Moses. Moses is their human leader. Moses is, in a sense, he is a priest. Someone who, a priest is someone who stands in the gap between God and people. And God would bring Moses up the mountain and give Moses stuff like, you know, the Ten Commandments. And Moses would take them back to the people. And God used human mediaries like that, like a priest, like a leader, like Moses, to communicate his truth to his people. Moses was an incredible figure and one that stood out in every Hebrew's mind as one of those heroes of the faith, someone who who faithfully and sacrificially walked with God and gave his life in service of others, a leader worth following. But look at chapter 3, verse 3 and 4 with me. As amazing as angels are, Jesus is better. As amazing as Moses is, uh, the writer of Hebrews is going to say, there's someone even greater than Moses. Look at Hebrews 3, 3 and 4 with me. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. Just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. And if you're new to Christianity or new to church stuff, you may be wondering, well, yeah, but that's God. God builds everything. God made Moses. So, of course, God is better than Moses because God made Moses because God made everything. You may track with that. And then you say, but what, what does that have to do with Jesus being better? How is it then that Jesus is worthy of a greater honor than even Moses? Because, and, and this can be a little confusing if you're new to Christianity, but Jesus is God. There is God the Father. 
There is God the Son and there's God the Holy Spirit. That we serve one God who exists in three persons. And they have these unique yet important roles that they play in the history of all that there is. And what we find here is that God made Moses. So is that just the Father made Moses? Well, you go back to chapter 1 and no, it's Jesus was there. Jesus was part of the creation story. Look back at that with me. Look back at, uh, at uh, chapter 1, verse, halfway through verse 2. Speaking about Jesus, we read that through him, or, or, or through whom, he made the universe. God the Father made the universe through Jesus. That Jesus is involved in creating all that there is. So what, what's, the, what's the point here? Is that there can be human leaders in our life. That we can follow. And that's good. And that's important. And that's helpful. God gives the gift of leadership to some. To set the course. But even a great leader like Moses. Is nothing compared to Jesus. Partially because. Jesus. Involved in the creation story. Made Moses. Just as a builder of a house. Is greater than the house they build. Jesus the creator. Is greater than the creation. Even an incredible leader like Moses. So any human leader that deserves worthy, uh, uh, that is worthy of, of adoration and respect. And there's plenty. And that's a good thing. And we can follow them. There's none greater than Moses. And I think of some of the heroes in the faith for me. People I've read throughout the years. Pastors I've followed. That have had an incredible and powerful impact on my life. That have just done so much for my faith. Yet, as great as they are, there's no one greater than Jesus. There is no one better than Jesus. So, Jesus is better than angels. He's better than Moses. And now, I want to spend a significant amount of time talking about how Jesus offers us a better rest. This is going to get us into chapter 4. In chapter 4, we read about this better rest. It's linked to the story of Moses. Because as you know, we just talked about Moses led the people out of slavery. Do you know how long they were in slavery in Egypt? Anybody know? Shout it out. Come on, Bible scholars. Over 400 years, right? Over 400 years, they lived in slavery in Egypt when God called Moses to lead them out. For 400 years, back-breaking slave work. Never a day off. Never a day off. Now that, some of you are like, I've been there. <laughs> I know what that's like. I know what it's like to work seven days a week and not get a day off, right? I, mean, I know some of you, you, you got some experience with it. But this is slave labor, y'all. They're not getting paid. If they didn't do their job, they didn't get let go or reprimanded. They got beaten. This is a whole different class of struggle and challenge that the Hebrews went through. Long, long ago. And they never got rest. And see, that's one of the marks of being Jewish is Shabbat or Sabbath. It's that day of rest. It's a recognition that God rested on the seventh day and so shall we. It's a recognition that that God can handle the universe without me. He does not need me to work seven days a week, every week, all the time, and never break to spend a day in his presence. And the Hebrews didn't get that. For 500 years. Uh, I thought it was really neat. Because Rosemary, our children and missions minister. 
She shared last Sunday during our business meeting about her uh, sabbatical, which we offer our church staff after they've been uh, employed here for seven years. They get a chance to uh, take four to six weeks off and uh, just a chance for spiritual renewal and growth and things of that nature. And, uh, and Rosemary had come back from hers, and she was sharing about that. And she, sh- she talked about learning about the Sabbath and, and about learning how that word was used for the first time. The word Sabbath itself, not, not a day of rest. We find that in Genesis. But the word Sabbath itself, which literally means to stop, to cease from work. That that word isn't used until after the Exodus. It's in the story of the Exodus. It's in the story of Moses leading God's people out of slavery that they begin to talk about. Now this is our command. It's part of the Ten Commandments, y'all. Like just, just think about that. Like We uphold the Ten Commandments. This is incredible moral code. Amazing things are said in there. So, some world-shifting and changing things like thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, uh, false witness, uh, worship one God, don't have uh, idols, you know, just and we think, well, of course, that's how the world should be. The world didn't always think that way, and it doesn't always think that way now. The Ten Commandments are revolutionary and what they have to say. And one of them is, thou shalt honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. And so God begins to imprint this on his people as they come out of slavery. 400 years, no Sabbath, no break begins to imprint this on his people, that this Sabbath break uh, from work and, 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 a, and a day of rest and worship of me is so important that when he calls Moses up the mountain and God inscribes his commands on the tablets, he includes the command to honor the Sabbath. In fact, uh, even in Jesus' day, maybe even today, I don't know for sure. I'd have to look it up. Maybe you could. Maybe later. Don't Google now. But uh, it was said that if, if all of the Hebrews, if all of God's people could perfectly keep the Sabbath for one 24-hour period, if all of them could do it, that God would come. That the Savior that the Jewish people hoped in, who we now know as Jesus, would come and set all things right. That's how important the Sabbath was in their mind. But they didn't always honor it. They didn't always keep it. They let the world around them influence them and how they viewed that Sabbath break. And and they began to dishonor God because, because if I can work and make X amount of money in six days, imagine what I could do in seven days. Or I've got an opportunity to work on that seventh day that I didn't have the first six days and it's really going to help us out financially. Or I really like to take that Sabbath and I like to do what I want to do on it and have fun and, and, and enjoy myself. And, and, you know, so worship of God is not really a part of that. That's my day. I want, I want to spend it that way. Like, like the Hebrews, they did not honor the Sabbath all the time. And it got them in trouble with God. But the promise was still there. It was still available to them. They could still take God up on it. The opportunity to rest in God was still theirs. Now this is where we get into Hebrews. Because what does that have to do with Hebrews? The author of Hebrews begins to talk about this as Moses leads the people out. 
He says in verse 9 of chapter 4 of Hebrews, he says, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Sabbath is a picture of being at peace with God. Of being full and complete in the presence of God. I don't know about you, but when I worship, when we're singing together in worship, or I'm singing in my car and I'm worshiping, like there, there's, there's something that feels so right about that. Like I feel like my soul is, is whole as I'm in the presence of God worshiping Him. And that stands behind the idea of Sabbath is to stop from work and worship God. Trust that God has got it covered and you don't have to fret and fear. He is in charge. But see, there, it's meant to be a picture. That there is a, there's a kind of Sabbath rest that, that the writer of Hebrews joins together here that is really interesting because he links this idea of Sabbath rest to salvation itself. That there is a kind of working and a way of thinking about work that bleeds over into our life with God. Because when I work, I get a paycheck. If I stopped working, eventually the church would figure it out and I would no longer get a paycheck, right? So there's something about that. Work provides. Work earns. And if we're not careful, that way of thinking bleeds into our life with God and we begin to think that my work is what makes me right with God. My work is why I can have peace with God. My work is why I can rest in God. But Sabbath is a gift to his people that the Jewish people did not earn. It was an invitation for them to step into a rest that they could not earn. And the writer of Hebrews is making this connection. Listen to what he says at the beginning of chapter 4 with me. Therefore, chapter 1, or chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands... Let us be careful that none of you be found fallen short of it. Now, remember, he's combining the idea of Sabbath rest. It was a big part of the commandments of God's people, the Hebrews. And listen to what he does with it. He says, for we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. He is bringing this connection between hearing good news. That God is a God of rest. That you can, you can trust that God is enough. That you don't have to strive to be at peace with God. He's linking that idea of Sabbath to the ultimate Sabbath rest. The rest of our soul, that, that our souls can only find in Christ. That there is a striving that can only get us so far. There is a, there is a work ethic It is a good thing that becomes a bad thing if that's how we see our relationship with God, that I have to work to rest in God. And what the writer of Hebrews says is the way that we fall short of it is a faithless observance of Sabbath. Or it's a faithless working through Sabbath 
believing that it's our effort that earns us a relationship with God. He says, but the message they heard was of no value to them. They heard about a Sabbath rest. They heard about a chance to be at peace with God. But that message that they heard was of no value to them because they did not obey. What does it mean for us then to obey God that we might experience the Sabbath rest? What does it look like for us to to feel like I don't have to keep striving in order to please God and to rest in God and be at peace with God? I I don't have to do that. I I don't have to, uh, you know, just religiously observe all these things and do all these things and give money and serve and all this in an effort to please God rather than out of a desire because God has shown his love for me. That's a totally different thing. It's earning. God's not opposed to effort. He's opposed to earning. And here what we see is that the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, there, there, just as there was a Shabbat, there was a Sabbath peace for God's people that they did not earn, there is a peace now with God that you can have, that you cannot earn, but it comes by way of obedience. So does that mean we earn our salvation through obedience? No, no, no. Look at the Bible as a whole and you'll see this obedience he's talking about is an obedience of faith. That's what it's about. It's an obedience of faith. He says, but the message, again, this is in the middle of verse 2 of chapter 4, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith. It is to say, Jesus is better. Jesus is better than my efforts. My effort to be at peace with God. Jesus is better than any Sabbath rest. Jesus is better because He's the one that's earning the rest for me. And what is my role, but what is my obedience, but to be faithful to him? It's to trust that Jesus is better. It's to believe that Jesus is better. Now, if you've been around church, you've been a Christian for a while, you would just say yes and amen to all those things. But I got to be honest, sometimes it's, it's easy to get out in the world and start to believe that other things are better. It's one of the significant reasons why we need to come together as a church family to worship together, to study the Bible together, to pray together. We need this because when we get out into our work lives, when we get out into our family lives, we get out into our neighborhoods and our schools, I mean, it's just, it can be very easy to stop believing that Jesus is better and start embracing that something else could be possibly better than him. When our souls aren't finding that rest that the writer of Hebrews talks about, it's a sign that we're looking at something else as being better and longing for something else to be better when only one will satisfy. Only one is better. And it is Christ. And so what the writer of Hebrews says, which is I think is a good warning for us, or it's a, it's a, it's a good encouragement to us in chapter 2, verse 1. The writer says, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Jesus is better. But aren't there things in our life that draw us away from that truth? We start to hunger for that promotion. We start to desire that so-and-so would notice us. We start to wrap our identity around how effective we are as parents, right? Or about what we own or what we drive or where we live. And we start to put 
put all our eggs in those baskets and we start to feel like those things are like if I could have that. If I could have all those things. I remember one pastor telling, it was very convicting, but he said, just imagine you could have heaven. And you could have every, everything you could imagine. It would be exactly the way you would dream it up to be. It would be beautiful. It would be perfect. There would never be anything you would want. Every day would get better than the last. You could have heaven. It would be glorious. It would be awesome. It would be wonderful. I mean, just nothing is left out. And he only got better. Just imagine you could have that heaven. But imagine you could have that heaven without Jesus. Would you still want it? I think that's convicting because sometimes I think, yeah, that sounds pretty darn good. And the writer of Hebrews says, but Jesus is better. Jesus is far better than anything you could imagine. And so we get out into our life and, and there are things that, that tempt us to think that, that this is better, that is better. And the writer of Hebrews says, be very careful, pay the most careful attention so that you don't drift away from this Jesus who gave his life for you, this Jesus who died for you, this Jesus who knows you, everything about you, even the things that nobody else knows. And yet the same Jesus who said, and I'm going to die for that guy. I'm going to die for that gal. I know, I know, I know they're a mess, but I still love them and I'm still going to give my life for them. Just that, that Jesus is better, isn't he? He is better. So here's my challenge for you this week. Here's what I encourage you to do. Because, because let's just be real. There's probably things on your list right now that you want more than Jesus. Your desire is for that. Your hopes and dreams are wrapped up in that. And, and, and maybe God is convicting you even now. Pointing out those things you think are better than Christ. And God is saying this needs to change. Jesus is better than all that. So here's my challenge for you. It comes straight from the scripture. Look at chapter 3. This will be the last verse we look at. I know we're kind of all over the place. But look at chapter 3, verse 1. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, my holy brothers and sisters, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. See, what we tend to do is we pull out our magnifying glass of our wants and dreams and hopes. We, we hover that magnifying glass over those things that we think will be better, and they become big, right? And even more attractive. And, oh, man, that, that really would be awesome if I had this or if this happened. And we, and we can start to think that that is better. What I want you to do is take that magnifying glass and shift it over to Jesus. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Here's my challenge for you, okay? I want to challenge you every morning this week for the next seven days. I want to challenge you to spend a few moments in the morning thinking about Jesus. Think about who he is, what he said, what he did. What he says he will do in the future. What he's doing now, which is interceding for us, by the way. That Jesus is on the right hand of the Father praying for you and me. That's what Jesus is doing. Maybe you don't know a lot about Jesus. Use this week to learn about him. You say, well, I need help. Well, that's what we're here for. Both as, as brothers and sisters in Christ in the room and as a ministerial staff, that's why we're here. You can ask, hey, I want to know more about this Jesus. 
How do I do that? You could simply take, you know, you go to the Bible app, download that, and just type in the search, Jesus. Find the scriptures that talk about Jesus. Learn about Jesus. But here's my challenge. Hebrews 3.1. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Before you get out in the world, before the temptation to put that magnifying glass on those things that tempt you to think that they are better than Jesus, take that magnifying glass and put it squarely over top of Christ. And look at him. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Now for some of you, that would be a strange thing because you've never done that. Church is new to you. The idea of Jesus is new to you. Sure, you've heard the name, but you don't really know what he's all about. I hope you've seen in here, seen in the message, seen in the scriptures here, that this Jesus that God has spoken through is, is his way of telling you that when you see Jesus, you are seeing the Father. Not that they're the same person, but Jesus is accurately representing to you God. And here's what I want you to know about this God so that you can fix your eyes on Jesus this week. You can fix your thoughts on Jesus accurately this week. Is that God who became flesh, John 1.1 1, 1 tells us, came into this world. To take the sins of the world on himself on the cross. That's what Jesus is doing. If you've heard about Jesus being on the cross, you've seen the crucifix before. That's what he's, he's taking the sins of the world on himself. And he made for himself a better sacrifice than any other sacrifice. That's what we're going to talk about next week. And he's the one that we go through in order to encounter God. That's the, the priesthood. We're going to talk about that next week. But it's through Jesus that your sins are forgiven and you are made right with God. In other words, God sees you as being perfect. Because he has forgiven your sins and he has accredited to your account and mine the righteousness of Christ. Because Christ never did anything wrong. And you get the credit for that. I get the credit for that. I didn't didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. What is Christianity about? What is Jesus about? In one word, it's grace. It's getting from God what we most need, and he pays the bill. That's what it's about. That's what Jesus is doing. And the thing is, which is what I said earlier, is see, he knows you, and he knows me. He knows the worst parts about you, and the worst parts about me, and he still came. Fix your eyes on him. Fix your eyes on that Jesus. Fix your eyes on the grace of God shown to you through Christ. And see if your life does not change. I promise you it will. Even as Christians, we must do that. Every day, fix our thoughts on this Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we just stand in awe of who you are. That you are God, our creator, who knows all things and is all powerful. And God, you see into our hearts and our souls. You know our minds. You know... All there is to know about us. You know us better than we know ourselves. And God, I just confess that too often I think that there are things better than that. Things better than you. Things better than Christ. That without knowing it, my heart just drifts. And begins to want things. That may not be bad things, they're just not the best things. The better and best thing is Jesus. And God, we need your help. We need your help that we could focus on him, that our, our thoughts could be fixed on him. 
I pray, God, that this challenge would just ring in our ears come tomorrow morning. Even as we lay our head on our pillow tonight, your Holy Spirit would just be reminding us, fix your thoughts on Jesus, fix your thoughts on Jesus, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Then we take that up as our our challenge this week, that we want to be thinking about the greatest thing we could possibly think about. And that's Jesus. That he is better than anything else, than all other things combined. He is better. So, Father, help us to fix our thoughts on Him. Help us to live in light by faith and obedience to this Christ who gave His life for us. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.